Droughts and severe weather conditions seem to be simultaneously happening all over the globe these days. Is this unusual weather? Or are the predictions that climate scientists have been making for decades finally coming true? I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations like the climate research and modeling done at Argonne National Laboratories. My guest this week is Rao Katamathi, Senior Scientist in the Environmental Science Division at Argonne National Laboratories. Rao, welcome to GreenSense. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, Rao, I very much uh, enjoy you being on the show, and you're a very well-educated and accomplished scientist. To just read a few things, you have a PhD in chemical and biochemical engineering from the University of Iowa. You're an expert at the Energy Research Policy Institute, a senior fellow at University of Chicago, 30 years of experience in regional and global scale modeling of air quality and atmospheric composition and regional scale climate change, and an author, and you recently wrote Downscaling Techniques for High-Resolution Climate Projections from Global Change to Local Impacts. Anything else you'd want to add? Uh, the, 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 that's good. I mean, that covers everything I did. <laughs> Well, the uh, true measures of one's intelligence is the ability to take complex ideas and make them understandable to the layman. So, Ralph, yeah. that's your challenge today. Can you do it? <laughs> yes, we can. Let's try. Well, all we hear about these days is drought and severe weather conditions. Uh, there's a saying that there's nothing unusual about unusual weather. Help us understand the difference between weather and climate. So... I mean, uh, when we are talking about weather, generally what we mean is that the conditions you experience outside your, uh, when, you, when, when you go out, what do you see is, is the weather. So people have taken different ways of explaining this. It's, it's, so one, one example is that if I wear a particular set of clothes for going out today, uh, that is I'm wearing for the weather. But whereas if you look in my closet, I may have all kinds of sweaters, jackets, because I, I'm in Chicago. So I know the climate here. So I have all these winter clothes because I know winter is going to be cold. I know summer is going to be warm. So I have some shorts and stuff like that. But in a, in a really in the deep of winter, we get these days where we get 60, 60 degrees and 70 degrees and we all wear shorts and broad. So that is the weather. Even on a, a, a winter, we may get a really warm day. And uh, like this summer, we had quite a few of uh, uh, cold, uh, reasonably not so warm days. So that is the weather. Uh, climate is the thing that we are expecting. So winter, we expect to be cold. Uh, summer, we expect to be warm. Spring, we expect things to be changing. So that is our expectation. The expectation is built on years and years of either living in this area, which we know we, got, we kind of understand the climate here, or people have collected the data and said, in a summer, a typical summer day in Chicago, it should be around 80 degrees. So that is the kind, that is the, that is the climate. So that's the difference between a climate and the weather. Well, that was a great explanation. I appreciate that. And you've been a climate change uh, researcher for 30 years. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest challenge in proving a cause and effect between anthropogenic activities mm -hmm. and a changing climate? So this, uh, one of the things to realize is that we cannot do an experiment to find out whether if I increase carbon dioxide, what will happen to this planet? We are only one planet. Right. <laughs> we cannot go through this experiment. So what we, the closest we can do is that we build a numerical model, as essentially a, a compu computer model, as they say, that looks kind of and behaves like the Earth, that it gets all the 
uh, like the sun comes up, the temperature at the surface should go up a little bit because the sun is uh, the sun has come up, and it is summer. It should be warmer. Winter it should be colder. All around the globe, they, these kinds of models simulate what the Earth should looks like and should look like on on a computer, really large computers. So we validate these models by running historical simulation. What I mean by historical is that, let's say I start my simulation in 1850 and keep running it till 2020. Do I agree with the temperature changes I'm seeing in the, in the historical record? We have a pretty good temperature record from all over the world for almost 100 plus years. So you can kind of validate the, how the temperature is behaving uh, over, this, uh, over these past 100 years. So what we do is that take this model and we run this model without any uh, uh, fossil fuel emissions. Let's say there are, there are no cars, we'd never use fossil fuels. It's all uh, kind of what it was before the industrial revolution. So do, you, do I produce the same temperature behavior I've seen over the last 150 years? And then we introduce all these anthropogenic emissions that are basically fossil fuels and things like that and see what, what, how, how well it matches with the, with the observed temperature change over the last 100 plus years. What we find is that the only way you can produce what we have observed over the last 100, 150 years is if you include the anthropogenic emissions. If you don't do that, then the temperature looks very different. The temperature record looks much colder, much different from what we have observed. So that's a kind of a validation used for, for, for modeling. For, as I'm a modeler, from the modeling perspective, that's what we are looking at. If you are an observational scientist, what you would look is, I look at the record for the last 50 years. Do I see trends? Is the, is the, is the temperature increasing last, last 100 years? Is the temperature increasing globally on average? Is the precipitation, like the rain, precipitation meaning a rain, is the rain changing uh, over, over the last uh, 100 plus years? So we try to look at these data sets and uh, try to develop a trend. The, if you look at the historical temperature data for the last 100 plus years, it is uh, very clear that the temperature has started warming up as we started using more and more fossil fuels. And it has, it has been increasing at a rapid rate for the last at least 50 to 50 plus years. And that so-called the hockey stick uh, uh, idea that there's, there's this temperature that started going up at the edge of the hockey stick and you keep, you're seeing this rapid increase in temperature. So we have proofs from several, uh, several of these from the modeling perspective, from observations that uh, the cause for this is actually greenhouse gases. We can do a correlation between the increase in carbon dioxide and increase in temperature. So we have several lines of uh, evidence that the climate is changing and the change is due to the in increasing use of fossil fuels. That's fascinating. Uh, have you been able to tweak or stress other variables to see uh if it may be dependent on other things besides fossil fuels? Yes, we, we, we do that. Uh, the models are built to do experiments. We can do whatever we want, right? The model looks like the earth and we can do various perturbations to it. We call changes, small changes in, or big changes in the model. Let's say if the, if we know how much the sun's output from the sun has changed over the last 150 years. It's very small. We can put that in the model and see how much effect it has on temperature. We can look at, Things like uh, there are all these volcanoes that went up, like uh, went off on like the last 30 years. There are at least four. So what happens when uh, each time you have a huge volcanic explosion? What what effect did you have on temperature? If you include the, include those volcanoes, 
uh, the, the eruptions into the model, it cools down for about five years and then increases. So there, all these kinds of perturbations are added to the model to see how robust the simulations are. If I, uh, if I, if there is some other natural, if the, if the ocean, uh, the, the conditions of the ocean, the conditions of the atmosphere, the biosphere, we change the land use, like there's more agriculture now than, than before the industrial revolution, for example. So we do that changes. And what happens if you don't do the change? So we look at all these changes and, and then uh, and, and the conclusion is that the major cause of what we are seeing right now, the contributor is the fossil fuels. And it seems like a significant amount or a majority of climate scientists agree with this. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, the, 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 uh, there is a process called the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It has been, uh, it started about 1980, I think, that's the first report. That's when climate change was recognized as, a, as, a, as a something of significance. We need to pay attention. And it has been doing a report every four years, approximately. So the most recent one, thousands, hundreds and thousands of, <laughs> there are probably two to 3,000 scientists who are working on that report. And it, the conclusion is that uh, we have very high confidence that this change is actually happening because of, uh, uh, of uh, fossil fuel emissions. And it's not that we all, as a scientist, we all agree that this is fun and <laughs> we all agree on this. It is just that we all have done the science, we have all done, looked at the numbers and we are all convinced as a scientist that this is a hypothesis that stands on firm ground. So it is, it is we have enough proof that we can support this. And as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, looking at your background and your education, you're, you're quite an expert. You've been doing this for a long time. You're well qualified, and I assume your peers are also. So, you know, this is really fact-based uh, science. Yeah. So yeah. appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, you must have uh, mixed feelings. Uh, uh, unfortunately, you're right, but uh, the world's going to suffer from, uh, from being right. So hopefully we could find some solutions to this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, one of the things I say is that this is not a belief system. This is a evidence-based uh, uh, idea that climate is changing. So it's not a religion. It's, it's a science. It's a science, right? It's always, yes. Yeah. So let's let's talk about externalities for a second. Uh, you mentioned the sun. When you uh, work your model and mm. you tweak the impact from externalities uh, outside the planet, what mm. kind of an impact do we see? Well, so if you think of the Earth as a system, right, the only thing that is external or, or changes to the system is the sun can change. Uh, the other thing is a huge number of volcanoes that can go all around the planet and an asteroid by strike. That is the different thing, right? So the solar uh, effect is that it, it, it is changing. There are, as you know, there are, there are sunspot activities, and it has been changing over hundreds and hundreds of years. It has, it has gone through highs and lows and things like that. And there are very good models. That is the most important one outside of our system that, that is of importance, right? So if you look at the sun, uh, it, it has gone through this uh, various, there is a thing called the Maunder Minimum in the uh, 1700s when we got actually into a uh, the, the, much of the Europe actually became very cold. So, so the sunspot activity is increase and decrease. So we know a very, we can actually build a uh, complete record of the sun activity for the last 200, 300 years. And also we have very good models of the sun and when the, when to, what to expect, when you, what is the expectations of uh, how much input from the sun is going to change for the next 500 years. 
So with using these things, we have, we have put in the model and the model and the effect of this is that uh, there, is, there, is, there is effect, there is a minimal effect, but it is not as big as the, uh, uh, as the anthropogenic like the fossil fuel emissions. These are, the changes in sun activity is probably a percent or uh, uh, less than a percent or 2%. So they are there, but they, that does not influence what we are experiencing. One of the things to realize is that we are not talking here about millions. The sun will go through a different phase in 100,000 years, something like that. But we are talking about the next 50 years, next 100 years. We are talking about grandchildren and their, their, their children. So we are talking about the next 100, 200, 300 years. So this is a, an immediate problem uh, that, we are, we, that we have to adjust. And the changes are happening so rapidly that we need to uh, we may not be able to cope with the changes at the speed at which are happening. Let's say some changes happen over a millennial time scale. Um, the human civilization, if it still exists, probably will adapt to this, those kinds of slow changes. So what keeps you up at night when it comes to climate change? <laughs> the thing is, I've been doing and looking at these models for maybe, as I said, as you said, 30 years. Some of these things maybe 30 years ago kind of looked like uh, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> because we are, we are looking at this, uh, the number of uh, days where we'll have high temperatures, the, num the precipitation changing. Actually, it looks like everything the models were saying is, is right. And actually, we are under predicting the amount of changes we are seeing. So the changes we are seeing right now are happening much more faster than the models are capturing. Uh, that is the biggest worry we have. Is, our, is, is, the, changing, is, the, is the change so rapid? Uh, that we need to uh, we need to act faster than we are we are we are planning to do, but at least action is going on right now, so that's a good news. Well, let's move into action and let's talk about application for your research. Uh, research is great, but for us as listeners, we want to know what can you do with that research, and so uh, what can these models predict, and what kind of actions can we take to reverse climate change or global warming? So the, the biggest thing is, is the, so the, the, way, the way we deal with climate change is, is already happening and how we want to deal with climate change is one is we call mitigation. Mitigation is essentially the idea that you reduce the amount of carbon, em, uh, carbon emissions from fossil fuels. So that is the whole idea of uh, net zero emissions and uh, getting into renewables, getting into electric cars, and you, you potentially don't want to use any fossil fuels as we go forward uh, as soon as we can. Uh, the idea is that 2030, 2040, 2050. So there are various goals here. And how do we get there? So that is the mitigation aspect of it. So while we are de de developing those technologies, the, I mean, the, the converting our entire economy into essentially not depending on fossil fuels, we also have to adjust to the changes that are actually taking place now and will continue to take place over the next 20 uh, or so years. Still, we solve this problem, right? So that is called adaptation. So how do I adapt to these changes? So both are, both are important. We should consider both, of, both these aspects as we plan uh, to make a resilient, uh, uh, make our communities resilient to the ongoing climate change and also build a sustainable uh, uh, set of uh, uh, policies that we can, we can, uh, we can all uh, live into long into the future. Well, let's get into some uh, practical things that Argonne National Lab's doing. One is the AT&T uh, has released new climate data on wildfires and droughts, yeah. and you've been working with them. So explain uh, that project. 
So it's a very interesting and probably uh, an exciting thing because we, you do a lot of work and sometimes you want to be, to be applied to something. So what we we have we have been having conversations with AT and T for from about 2018 or 2019. So they were talking about something else and then they got interested in climate and we dis, we talked we talked about how would uh, AT and T a company like AT and T actually use climate model outputs. Like we, I predict a change in uh, 2050. How do they use that change? So we work with them and identify some variables that they may be interested in. Some of them are things like flooding. Can you predict uh, or project changes in flood levels at all, uh, all over the country where we have basically AT&T operates everywhere in, on this, in this country. So they wanted to know what would that affect, uh, how will that affect our infrastructure? Can we do some study on that? So we did a study in the Southeast trying to figure out, knowing that the, the, the rainfall amounts are changing all over the country that our model predicts, how would that translate into flood levels, right? That's the starting point for our, our collaboration. I mean, they started funding that activity and we did a very detailed simulation of how flood levels will change into the uh, mid-century, mid like 2050 range. And uh, essentially what we are looking at is that if you have a once in a 50 year flood or once in a 25 year flood, will it be the same in the future or it will happen more frequently? Like a one in a 25 year flood right now happen once every five years in the future. And if it happens, will the water depth be the same or you'll get a deeper uh, water? So these are the kinds of questions we are doing because essentially are focusing on the extremes of the projected climate. Like a wildfire is an extreme, a drought is an extreme. A flood event is an extreme. So we have been doing this extremes calculation. So what would AT&T do with this? And so that is a central question for this. And that is a most challenging thing. So would, would information like this be useful for AT&T to plan where they build the infrastructure in the future? Uh, can they estimate the climate risk from climate change to a facility they have right now or, or, or they want to build in the future? And if they don't take a certain action, let's say we predict that uh, uh, the flood level at some place will be higher in the future or, or, or more frequent. Maybe they don't build that there and build somewhere else. Do they save money? So this is all spreadsheet stuff. So somebody has to sit down and, and, and use this uh, uh, calculations to see whether they save money by doing that. So that is the, that is the most challenging thing in all this is to for the for the industry uh, or and the private sector to figure out what is the risk from climate and what is the adaptive action they need to take so that they're not losing money on one and they're also helping the communities on the on the other hand so that's uh, what we are doing with AT&T and that's uh, one of the most uh, very interesting projects well, that's fantastic. And I could think of a lot of other organizations that would be interested in that data. So that has lots of application. Yep. Uh, in closing, let's move on to one last one. And that's the New York Power Authority plan for, for the future and changing climate. Sounds mm -hmm. interesting. What are you doing there? It's kind of a similar question. New York Power Authority uh, also has a lot of, uh, they basically produce power for the New York state. So they wanted to know, will, will there be changes in temperature, even flood levels and, and other aspects that affect their, they want to know flood levels and water stream flows and things like that, because they produce a lot of the energy from hydroelectric power. So they want to know what, how the water, water is going to change in the state. And they also want to know what 
days we will have where the temperature exceeds some threshold. So they have to produce more power so that air conditioning can go on and things like that. So they want to have an idea of, this, of these numbers so they can start thinking about how they adapt to these changing needs as we go forward. So that is the project we are doing with them. We just completed the report. Hopefully it will be re released in a couple of uh, weeks or so. Uh, Rao, have you seen the movie Don't Look Up? Oh, yes, my favorite movie. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. It's, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's amazing. It's a, it's, it was a really, really interesting movie. Yeah, it's a great satire and commentary on the times, both on the media, politicians, and, and uh, a number of other groups. And the sad part is yeah. that uh, we've gotten to a point in, in history where we have the science, we have the technology, we could solve most problems now. What yeah. we lack is the political system and the ability to, uh, to marshal the troops to focus on the serious problems. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know what you can do to help in that area, but we really appreciate all the work you're doing and the uh, career you've spent on climate modeling and uh, being accurate in your predictions. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us. As I said, uh, I really uh, enjoyed working at Argonne. It was very formative in my career. And I think it's a great place, and there's some wonderful scientific activities going on there. Yep, yeah, we, we have the best computers, the best scientists, and uh, yeah, this is, it's a great place. It's, it's fun every day. Working there is, is fun every day. New challenges, yeah. Well, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being on Green Sense. Yep, thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Thanks to, that's Dr. Rao Katamathi. Senior Scientist in the Environmental Science Division at Argonne National Laboratory, talking about climate modeling and its application to solve climate change. Green Sense is an independent radio show that relies on support from sponsors and patrons like you so that we can produce a high-quality audio broadcast that promotes innovators with sustainable solutions. Visit the GreenSenseFarm.com website to learn more. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and catch the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago.